It's Monday, December 9th, 2019, 76 days into the impeachment saga, and this is Impeachment Today. Good morning, I'm Hayes Brown, reporter and editor at BuzzFeed News. It's a day that ends in Y at the end of 2019, so there's another impeachment hearing in Congress today. We'll have all the details on that for you in tomorrow's episode. Today, we're talking to BuzzFeed News science reporter Zara Hidri about Rick Perry, the former energy secretary and basically the Zeppo of the so-called Three Amigos of Ukraine. To, like, mix metaphors, whatever. But before we get to all that, let's catch up on what happened over the weekend. Okay, the House Judiciary Committee released a 50-page report on Saturday, yes, Saturday, an update of a similar landmark document put out during the Nixon impeachment proceedings. The report's designed to help members of the committee when they're thinking about how to frame articles of impeachment against Trump. In doing so, it lays out, you know, the history of impeachment, its place in the Constitution, and how current legal experts think it's supposed to work. The report is thick with references to the Constitution, the way the framers intended, and their debates and previous court cases, you know, basically the opposite of what's been in the White House's letters to Congress during this entire process. The 1974 impeachment report was drafted by Democrats and Republicans, but it was just the Democrats who wrote this new version, and at times it's really obvious it was written with the current president in mind. It emphasized the fear the founders had of foreign influence when drafting the impeachment clause and how serious a problem obstructing an impeachment inquiry is for the balance of powers between the three branches of government. It also rebuts some of the arguments that the president's defenders have made about impeachment. For example, it spells out pretty clearly that charges under impeachment don't require an equivalent crime under, you know, regular person criminal law. The report came just ahead of today's hearing in the Judiciary Committee, where lawyers for the majority and minority will present their final cases for and against Trump's impeachment. The White House announced on Friday evening that they wouldn't be taking part in this hearing either, giving up their last chance in the House to have the president's lawyers counter the Democrats' arguments. It's going to be a wild one even without them, with lawyers from each party on the House Intelligence and Judiciary Committees getting an hour and 15 minutes of uninterrupted time total to plead their cases. After that, the chair and ranking member get at least 45 minutes to ask questions. Then it's on to the 39 other members of judiciary for even more questions. Yay. Many of those Democratic committee members and their staff spent the weekend in the Capitol, isolated from the outside world, writing the first draft of the Articles of Impeachment. The New York Times described hour upon hour in windowless rooms, pizza boxes scattered everywhere, like the world's most intense cram for undergrad finals. That means we may be getting a look at those articles by the end of this week, and most observers are still betting on the full House voting on them by the end of next week. That will shift things to the Senate, where the Republicans will be in the driver's seat. And some of them are starting to sound more and more like the president when it comes to the conspiracy theories they're willing to support. Senator Ted Cruz went on Meet the Press on Sunday and became the latest to say that Ukraine definitely meddled in the U.S. 2016 election. It did not. If you listen close during this clip, you can almost hear Chuck Todd's developing aneurysm. Do you believe Ukraine meddled in the American election in 2016? I I do, and I think there's considerable evidence. You do? Chuck, let me point out a game that the media is playing. You know, a question that, that you've asked a number of people is you've, you've said to senators sort of aghast, do you believe that Ukraine and not Russia interfered in the election? Now that, that in, in, in a court of law would be struck as a misleading question. Of course Russia interfered in our election. Nobody looking at the evidence disputes that. Uh, but the what president the media of the United is pretending States does. Is, uh, look, 
it, on the evidence, Russia clearly interfered in our, in our election. But here's the game the media is playing. Because Russia interfered, the media pretends nobody else did. Ukraine blatantly interfered in our election. The sitting ambassador from Ukraine... The idea that Ukrainian officials writing an op-ed or posting on Facebook is in the same quadrant of the galaxy of bad things as Russia targeting the U.S. election in a military operation is absolutely fucking cuckoo bananas. Especially when U.S. officials believe that those conspiracies began life as a Russian counter-narrative. And let us not forget that announcing investigations into those Ukraine conspiracies was one of Trump's demands on Ukraine's president in exchange for a White House visit and allegedly nearly $400 million in military aid. But Cruz's performance got him praised from Trump's Twitter feed, so, you know, uh, priorities, I guess. And now, to put a number on the, oh, Jesus, what? Of the latest news, we have today's reading from our Nixometer. Well, I'm not a crook. Reminder, our scale, zero, normal day. 10, President Nixon resigns, flies away in a helicopter. This morning, we're at a 7.5. Things are getting super real at this point, with Democrats huddled up drafting actual articles of impeachment. We're going to see those later this week. There's going to be a vote at the end of next week. This is real. It's getting real. It's really happening. The Senate, who knows, whatever, but history is happening right now. And, uh, wow. Okay, after the break, we talk to Zara about Rick Perry. Stick around, everybody. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Hello, I'm Minnie Driver. And on my podcast, Mini Questions, I ask trailblazers across different disciplines the same seven questions. Questions about the inflection points in their life, what they like least about themselves, and what relationship has defined love for them. This season, I'm coming back with new trailblazers like Blondie vocalist Debbie Harry, journalist and television host Jeremy Clarkson, editor-in-chief of InStar magazine Laura Brown, and creative juggernaut Goldie. Join me as we continue this exploration on season two of Mini Questions, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thursday, February 10th, kick off Super Bowl 56 weekend with host Keegan-Michael Key. Find out who will be named the AP Most Valuable Player, delivered by Pizza Hut, the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year, presented by Nationwide, and more. Plus, the Pro Football Hall of Fame Class of 2022, delivered with Uber Eats, will be revealed. NFL Honors, presented by Invisalign, Thursday, February 10th at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, on ABC, NFL Network, and ESPN+. All times live except in the Pacific Time Zone. All right, it's time for this fucking guy. Today, we're looking at one of the biggest mysteries, actually, about this whole thing, which is former Energy Secretary James Richard Perry, a.k.a. Rick Perry, a.k.a. the Passe Doble Politico. His name has come up a lot in the impeachment saga, and yet he's always managed a quick step back out of the limelight, to the point that no one's really quite sure what role he had. Joining us from D.C. to talk about what we do and don't know about Perry and his role in all of this is BuzzFeed News science reporter Zara Hedry. Thanks for having me. So, Rick Perry, 
First up, not exactly someone many people expected to be energy secretary for the last two dudes to hold the seat. Can you give us like a very quick overview of his time like in that seat? Yeah, I mean, he's been one of the longest serving cabinet officials under President Trump. He only just stepped down on December 1st. And before taking this role, I think he's most known for being the governor of Texas. He also ran for president and kind of famously recommended that the DOE be closed. Somehow he ended up in control and actually really, I think, came to appreciate the core mission of the DOE, which is potentially why he was out of the limelight a little bit more than his more controversial secretaries or agency heads that we've seen. I'm actually having a hard time remembering, like before this, any scandals that Perry was really involved in. Did he really just keep his head down as much as it seems throughout his time in office? There has been some controversies to his tenure. Most notably, he had a secret meeting with a coal baron kind of in the first couple of months in office after that he recommended a study that raised a lot of eyebrows, was known to be like a grid or reliability study, which those are kind of wonky terms. But the main idea was it seemed like it was a vehicle for potentially showing that an increase in renewable energy was making the grid less reliable and trying to bring in a way to add subsidies or bail out coal power plants. Okay, let's turn to Perry's involvement with Ukraine. He was one of the few U.S. officials to attend the new president's inauguration earlier this year. Did that trip make any sort of splash when you saw it happen back in May? I don't think I distinctly remember that he was there for the inauguration, though he has had multiple trips to Eastern Europe and Ukraine. And those trips have not stood out to me because a huge part of the Trump administration's energy message has been to increase coal and natural gas exports. And Ukraine has been one of the countries where they have successfully been able to do that. So yeah, he's out there. He's doing what seems to be like a normal secretary doing a normal job, which is a rarity in this administration. Okay, since then, we've learned that Perry was tapped to be one of the point people on Ukraine after that trip. Did that affect any of his work as secretary this spring and summer that you saw? Nothing really stood out to me over the summer. You know, I think maybe the one time when questions were being raised was after the whistleblower's complaint had already come forward. And yet Perry, who had a meeting scheduled in Ukraine or with Ukraine officials, still planned to go ahead with that. And everyone was like, whoa. So you're still going to go ahead with this meeting? That's interesting. But while it was all playing out, there just wasn't a lot of controversy. And I think it's really important to note that there hasn't necessarily been a ton of transparency with this administration, with its energy and environment agencies in particular. And they've been doing a lot of, Perry in particular, really trying to push this message of, the U.S. can help bring fossil fuels overseas. And this just seemed to be, okay, like he's just continuing maybe ramping up that message and that work. That meeting that you just referred to where everyone's like, are you still going to Ukraine? Did he follow through with that? Did he actually go? Yeah, they did. And baffling (laughs) to me that he did that because, I mean, and he still managed to avoid like making headlines after he went. Like, I don't know, Rick Perry, something about those glasses. Are those Clark Kent glasses that he just like blends into the background now? Oh man, that's an amazing idea. 
you know, there are a lot of questions about his role in all of this, even when the impeachment stuff had just started swirling in a big way. And I think even now, there's a lot we don't know. Yes, he was one of the three amigos to go in May and be there for the inauguration. But what was his role outside of working on the energy front? One of the wildest things we did learn about Perry in Ukraine, though, was in a report that he apparently pushed for Americans to be involved with the national gas company there. Can you talk about that for a bit? Yeah, and I will say this is also another area where we have learned a lot, but there are a lot of questions. What we do know is that as part of that May trip, Perry had a meeting where he delivered a list of names, recommendations to the new Ukrainian president to be energy advisors. Now, there's a dispute about whether this was specifically to be people on the, as you mentioned, the government-owned natural gas company's board or to maybe generally serve as some kind of advisor role to the government. The DOE disputes that these were names to be on the board. One of the names that he gave forward, and this is something that's kind of been accepted, is a guy that financially backed him or was a supporter of him from Texas. That same guy later put in a bid, along with another known Perry and Republican backer, to drill oil and gas on Ukrainian-owned land. And they ended up winning that bid. And the only other competitor had basically offered to pay more. Okay, that does sound pretty shady. If people who contributed to Perry's previous political campaigns won this bid in Ukraine, but the other person bid more, that's pretty wild. There are just a lot of questions about how did his name get in there? Who proposed him? Was it Perry? Was it knowingly? And Are there questions about how he got that contract or about any other role he could or would be playing within the Ukrainian government kind of gas world? So based on what we know, was what Rick Perry was doing in Ukraine, at least as far as that natural gas company goes, was that a crime question mark? That's a great question. Jessica Tillipin, who teaches anti-corruption law at George Washington University, she spoke with the AP, which has been breaking a lot of news on Perry's energy dealings with Ukraine. And they specifically asked her if kind of this awarding of contracts to his friends crossed a line. And she said, my gut says it's no crime. It's just icky. But obviously, that's based with the limited level of facts we have. So hard to say, but at this point, I don't think we know enough to say that he has passed that line and to it being illegal. I feel like that story that you just told really kind of sums up Perry's involvement in all of this. That sounds weird. It sounds very weird and kind of shady, but we don't know whether that actually like ties into the very weird things that are getting the president impeached. Okay, so let's fast forward to a year in the future. It's 2020, just after the election. What is Rick Perry up to? What's your prediction? I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he has himself gone back to Texas and is working on some kind of energy venture. Fair enough. All right, Zara, thank you for laying out as clearly as possible, which is to say we know nothing still about Rick Perry and his role in Ukraine. But thank you for making clear to our listeners why that is. Thank you for having me again. 
Okay, it is question time. All along on this show, we've asked you, our loyal listeners, to send us your questions about impeachment, and we've been continuously impressed by what you've sent in. Today, we have a couple more good ones that I'll try and answer. First up is a question I got on Twitter from at Velvet Pig. How was the socio-political climate surrounding Nixon's impeachment different from today? There's a cult-like devotion to Trump that I'm not sure existed with Nixon. Thanks. Well, at Velvet Pig, that's a really great example of how history can change people's perceptions after the fact. Because here's the tea. Nixon was wildly popular as president, almost right up until he resigned. In fact, he still holds the record for the biggest landslide margin of victory in the 1972 election. He only lost the state of Massachusetts. This broad support was a big part of why his impeachment drama dragged on for so long. But if you really want to learn all about that, Please come back the week before Christmas, where we're going to be diving in deep on the various impeachments of the past. It's going to be a great time, I promise you. Okay, we also got this insightful question from listener Kevin about how one of the characters from our saga, Bill Taylor, ended up in his current position. Why, after taking all the energy to remove anti-corruption proponent Ambassador Yovanovitch, would the Trump administration then go on to install a straight shooter like Ambassador Taylor? That is a really great question, and the answer is, well, we're not super sure, especially given how we now know that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was pretty in the loop about what Trump actually wanted out of Ukraine. There's a bunch of guesses we could make, but the best one that I can put forward is that because he is not officially ambassador, Bill Taylor wasn't quite as empowered as he would have been if he had been Senate confirmed to be in that spot. That left a wide lane for ambassadors Sondland and Volker to really push forward Ukraine policy on their own. And we have one more that I got from Twitter from at Helene Vold. Hi, I'm Norwegian trying to understand the whole impeachment thing. I was wondering, does the House of Representatives have a majority of Democrats now? Is it them that started the impeachment hearings? And is it in that case that the Senate can stop the impeachment? Do the Senate have a majority of Republicans? Short answer, yes, yes, kind of, yes. The Senate will conduct a trial into whether or not Trump did what the House says he did, or will likely say he did, in their articles of impeachment, and the hundred members of the Senate who will vote to convict or acquit him of those charges. Okay, thanks to Velvet Pig, to Helene, and to Kevin for those questions. Everyone else, please continue to send more our way. What has you WTFing and OMFGing? Just open the voice memo app on your phone, record your message, and email it to impeachment at buzzfeed.com. Or just send me a direct message on Twitter. I'm at Hayes Brown, and my DMs are always open. Okay, that is it for today. Tomorrow, we'll have more for you as the House continues its final sprint towards articles of impeachment. Be sure to subscribe to Impeachment Today on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go to hear my disembodied voice. And maybe uh, leave us a rating and a review. Also, tell your friends about the show as we all figure this out together. I'm John Gonzalez, the host of SI's new podcast, Sports Illustrated Weekly. Sports Illustrated has delivered some of the best storytelling in sports for 70 years. And now that continues on our show. Each week, we'll dive deep into the best stories from around the sports world. Sports Illustrated Weekly is available every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now. We've all felt left out. 
And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, dog. Cat. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov. Slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.